I, I got a call from another friend, a guy named Dan Cancer, who was the musical director for Justin Bieber. He's a Canadian guy as well. Played in a lot of the same kind of small indie bands and stuff around Toronto, not at the same time, but kind of one after the other. So we kind of kept in touch loosely, but Sean's people had called him asking if he knew of any Toronto-based musicians who could play the guitar and then take on the role as musical director for the project. So he had recommended me. So he, he called me um, and that was sort of my first introduction to the project saying, hey, there's this guy named Sean Mendez. Sean only had Life of the Party out at the time. I think it was his first song that he had released. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I know that song. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. If you're new here, this podcast is for confused Gen Zs, millennials, 20-something-year-olds, unsure what they want to do post-grad or with their career. So I interview people from completely different backgrounds to hear more about their career journey. So I've had sex therapists, intimacy coordinators, pro-servers, doctors, lawyers, musicians, kind of all over the map just to hear their different perspectives. And today's guest is the one and only Zubin. And Zubin is a musical director and guitarist for the Grammy-nominated artist Sean Mendes. Yeah, you heard me right, Sean Mendes. Uh, this was such an amazing conversation. Zubin is so sweet, and it was so great hearing more about his childhood because I've heard other interviews that he's done, and I, you know, he hasn't really delved into that, so that was really cool. And then, of course, we end the episode with some fun rapid-fire questions. So, if you guys like this episode, and let's just get straight into it. Okay, I'm here with Zubin Thacker. Zubin is a platinum selling producer, engineer, songwriter, musical director, and he's a guitarist. He's originally from Kitchener, Waterloo in Canada. So I'm so happy to support Canadians. Um, and he's been the musical director for Shawn Mendes and they've performed all over like Saturday Night Live, Grammy Awards, Tonight Show. And, you know, he's played in the likes of Ed Sheeran, John Mayer, Miley Cyrus, the list goes on. He's such a talented um, musician. So I am so honored that you're here and I'm really excited to learn from you. So thanks for coming on. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. So how are you doing? So like, you know, this past year has been crazy with COVID. Things are slowly opening up. Are you still in... Um, Ontario? Are you splitting your time between LA or kind of what's your life like now? I'm still in Ontario. We're sort of, yeah. sort of still, I, I think, is a music industry as a whole kind of figuring out what happens next, you know, yes. um, as things and as various countries and territories start opening up um, events and things like that. So right now I'm currently at home. I'm in Ontario. And yeah, the last little while throughout the, the, the ongoing pandemic has been really interesting. Um, Career-wise, um, also really a silver lining with uh, being home for family, which has been lovely um, in that sense, because so much of my job before 2020 was traveling. You know, there's a lot of intense travel associated with um, being a musician, being on the road as much. So so in that sense, it's been really nice. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Yeah, so before we get into like meat of like how you got to where you're at, I want to know like your childhood in Kitchener. I've never been there. So what was it like and how did you get into music? I think I read that you had your first guitar at like seven. So was that self-taught? And yeah, kind of walk me through what your childhood was like. Sure. I had uh, a very sort of uh, standard childhood in, in most mm -hmm. ways. My parents um, are first generation immigrants to Canada from India. So I grew up in Kitchener, small town, smallish town, bigger now. Uh, there's, you know, it's a college university town. There's two universities and a college here, University of Waterloo and Wilfrid Laurier here, Constant College. Um, but it's a, yeah, it was a, a very nice town in that sense. Um, I had a very standard childhood in terms of like all the usual activities. 
you know, I was super into baseball when I was a kid. Like that's what my dream was up until I got my guitar was to be a baseball player. So I was really into okay. sports, really into baseball. You know, I, I was pretty like focused on school also, you know, um, there's a big focus in, in our family on academics and things like that. Um, I have an older sister um, who was sort of like an absolute and is still an absolute like academic rock star. She's a professor at NYU. So that was a big focus in our house, you know, um, to be on top of school and, and things like that as well. I took piano lessons. Um, I can't remember when I started, but I was I was in piano lessons for a while, which I found pretty uninteresting, um, I think, as do most kids around that age. And then in grade seven, I got um, I was watching much music and I saw some music videos that were just like kind of blew my mind, you know, um, and exposed me to this whole other world of music, which I hadn't really heard of before. You know, I was still listening to, you know, the things my sister would be listening to around grade seven and around that age is when I think you start developing your own musical taste and preferences as a person and as a, as a little young human. Um, so that happened to me, but it really kind of shook me to my core. And I saw all these electric guitars on TV and I wanted <laughs> one so bad. Um, so in grade seven, uh, I convinced my parents to get me a guitar. And then that was it. That was sort of, I was just absolutely obsessed and hooked. Um, and uh, to answer your question, largely self-taught. I took some lessons right when I first got my guitar for about two months. Um, and then I took about another two months of lessons when I was in grade 12, I think. That's it. Um, everything else has just been sort of obsessively self-taught from there. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, and and uh, I was obviously uh, really involved in school band stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like I played percussion in the school band. So there was some obviously um, some more specific musical instruction that came through there. But but uh, as far as guitar goes, um, most of it's been self-taught and and whatever other sort of theory and things that came along the way would have been from piano lessons when I was really when I was really young. OK, interesting. Yeah. And I imagine back in the day, like tutorials or YouTube videos weren't as popular. And I feel like if I'm trying to learn something, like, <laughs> for a while last year during COVID, I was like, I want to learn how to play the piano. So I was like watching videos. But back then it wasn't a thing. So how did you kind of teach yourself? Did you just mess around and kind of figure it out? And like, how did you get into like more songwriting and like, you know, musical engineering? Sure. So yeah, so that's exactly it. There was there was no YouTube. <laughs> it did not exist when I got my guitar. That's how old I am. But uh, I used to buy these, like I used to buy Guitar Magazine and in Guitar Magazine or Guitar World Magazine or whatever it was called, there would be four songs. They'd have like the, it's called Guitar Tab. It's not like sheet music. It's like sheet music for guitar players. It's very simple. Okay. Um, but it's like the fretboard and some numbers which tell you where to put your fingers. And I would obsessively buy these magazines Um and they would have four songs each month or whatever. And I would learn those. And then I would go by, like, I was obsessed with Smashing Pumpkins, the band, um, and Nirvana and Soundgarden. Those are the bands that got me really excited and inspired at that age to get my guitar. So I would buy their sort of tab books. So it'd be like the entire Nirvana Nevermind tab book. And it would have every song written out in guitar tab that you could kind of follow along with. So I would do that. And then I just got really into, like, playing by ear. So I would just kind of start figuring things out, um, how to play them. And I was, as soon as I got my guitar, I was al also really interested in um, obviously learning all these other songs that I loved, but I was really interested in trying to find other people to play with. There was like a very noticeable pull right away to be like, okay, know what happens next? Like this thing I saw on TV had like you know, two guitar players and a drummer and a bass player and this, you know, like, okay, I need to find people like that. So mm -hmm. I got really into that concept right away you know if like i gotta find people to play with i gotta start a band 
And I started like writing little riffs and stuff also very early, like within the first couple of months of getting my guitar, we started like writing and messing around with my own little riffs and ideas. So that was something that, that just seemed to be part of the process. You know, I, I think I was just excited about, about all of it back then, as opposed to say, like, I know with my piano lessons and with even with my sister who went on much further in piano lessons than I did, there was never sort of a, I don't think I ever heard her write her own song on the piano or anything like that. It doesn't seem to be as part as much part of the sort of uh, classical piano curriculum to like explore that side of things. Well, of course, when you get like a rock band, quote unquote, instrument, that's very much the process is yes. sort of like, sure, learn a bunch of fun songs that you love, but there's also this other sort of nebulous thing that exists there, which is start a band, write your mm -hmm. own music, do that whole thing. So I was really attracted to that right away. Hi, it's me just popping in and saying, if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And if you have the time, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the podcast. And then finally, follow me on Instagram at wellnowatpodcast. Now back to the interview. Yeah. And then in, in college, um, like we fast forward a bit, you studied some engineering. So how did that you know, industry translate into the music industry? How did you combine both and like, yeah, what skills that you learned from college that you could have applied to the music industry? Yeah. So I went to, I went to UW University of Waterloo for systems design engineering, completely mm -hmm. unrelated to music in, in every way. Yes. Um, but I kept up, you know, I kept up uh, all my musical interests along the way. And actually like they got, uh, took them even more seriously once I got to university. But as far as the sort of translation between engineering to music, I think the things that I learned from engineering, the biggest thing was the ability to, to work really, really, really hard. Um, it was a very challenging program. Um, yes. And it really like forced you to take it very seriously and work, just like work, 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 study, <laughs> study endlessly. Mm -hmm. It was just like five years of endlessness, you know? Yes. Um, and that's a quality though that, I I learned and was forced to learn through that program, which I'm able to take with me though, which it kind of definitely kind of uh, translates to all aspects of my career now, you know, the ability to just put your head down and, and work and get things done, figure out if there's something that you need, don't understand. I've always been of the mindset that you just go find the answer, mm -hmm. which is easier these days than it was back then because of the internet and all the wonderful resources we have now. But that's how I always kind of thought about it, you know, um, and thought about, music as well with I had my own band for a long time and and with that there are a lot of skills you need to just pick up along the way like you got to make a website and you have to design merch you have to design your album cover and then mm -hmm. through that process is where I started learning how to like produce music and engineer music you know in that mm -hmm. sense in the, in, a, in a studio environment because it's very expensive to go to large format studios and mm -hmm. work with you know you know, top level producers and stuff. So you have to make do with whatever you can, you know? So um, we had some friends who had some gear uh, and who were also talented producers along the way as well. So I would kind of like work with them and learn from them. Um, and then just kind of trial and error, just like obsessively tinkered away in my parents' basement to try to figure out how to make the sounds I was hearing on my favorite songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So when you were at the point of kind of graduating, did you ever, were you at a crosswords was like, should I go to towards engineering? Should I go into music full-time and kind of, how did you make that decision? Did you, you know, when you, if you, when you went to, into the music industry, did you experience any imposter syndrome? I'm just trying to put myself into what mindset you were at yeah, when yeah, you were yeah. graduating. Cause I know I was freaking out when I graduated, I didn't have two options, but I was like, 
do I want to go in social media and marketing, keep going towards this? So yeah, I'm curious to know what you were feeling. Absolutely. That was, there was definitely a, I don't know if I would think of it as much of a crossroads mm-hmm. um, as opposed to it felt sort of like I was walking two paths for a while. Um, yes. There was a sort of a crossroads event that occurred later on, but right around like university, I, I was in a co-op program at UW. So that means mm-hmm. every four months I would go and find sort of a, a, a placement with the, generally within the field of engineering, you know, which was interesting because it gave me, I think I, I worked at six different companies, BlackBerry. Uh, I was working at a medical research company for a while. I worked for a professor for one term who was doing some interesting, uh, actually music related research, uh, mathematically modeling a, the, the action of a piano hammer hitting a string mm-hmm. and sort of where that would go in terms of being able to model a virtual piano, things like that. Um, and then I also ended up working at a company called Desire to Learn for a few terms near right before I was finishing off um, the program, um, which is an online educational software company. So if you're taking a course online, they're the platform that offers the course. You log in, you get all your materials, your quizzing, all that kind of, all that stuff uh, comes from a company like that. So I worked for them for a couple of terms um, right before I graduated. And then I stayed on with them for time because at the same time I was uh, in university, as I mentioned, I had my own band, which we were taking quite seriously at the time. Um, and things were, seem- were seemingly going in a, in a positive direction with the band. So when as graduation was approaching, there was definitely kind of a moment of like, okay, I, re- I really wanted to try pursuing this music thing. I don't think I fully understood what that meant. But at the same time, I had just done five years of this engineering degree um, and also kind of had some interesting opportunities that could unfold there, you know? Um, my heart wasn't in it uh, on the engineering side at mm-hmm. all, but at the same time, I needed, to, uh, you know, I did want to be able to make some money, <laughs> you know, to mm-hmm. be able to support the the music side of things that I was doing. So, desire to learn that company I was just talking about, they offered me a part time position that I could work remotely, so work from home okay, great. or work from, which I eventually took to being able to work on the road once I started touring. So I was working for. Uh, desire to learn for maybe about four or five years part-time oh wow remote complete completely remotely um while also doing music full-time which allowed me to sort of get my feet on the ground and establish myself on the music side of things without necessarily feeling like an intense you know financial burn which also helped because I, I think a lot of musicians in that you know in those first years when you're trying to establish yourself and build a career mm-hmm. You end up doing all sorts of kind of like gigs. You're teaching guitar lessons, or you're playing in wedding bands, and doing you know two, three hour cover sets at bars and stuff like that. That's all stuff I was never really interested in doing. And I also think that a lot of that stuff can really uh, whittle away at your inspiration for the music stuff you actually really want to be doing. So like if you taught guitar lessons for eight hours, the last thing you might want to do when you get home is pick up your guitar again and work on your own music. You maybe just want to break from that. So I did find that having that sort of completely unrelated part-time gig with the software company was really nice in that sense. Cause it, there was, there wasn't a lot of overlap between the music side and the side of the software company work I was doing. So I was always really excited to get all the software work done so I could get to the music stuff, you know, right. um, you know, fast forward five years from there after graduating, the music stuff was picking up enough that I needed to sort of make that choice. And it was hard. I remember it being like a sort of, because it was such a nice, uh, it was a very nice safety blanket to have that uh, the that engineering job. side going yes. still, and and I was very much understanding the implications of leaving that would mean probably leaving that that degree behind and that mm-hmm. career behind as an option 
because it's not like you can just, you know, five or 10 years down the road, be like, start applying to engineering jobs again. If yeah. you chose, if I chose to go back to that field, then there'd be a giant hole in your resume and mm-hmm. skills wouldn't be applicable anymore, things like that. So there was definitely a fork in the road, but it made sense. You know, it made sense to follow that. And this was before any of the, the Sean stuff came around, um, but something felt right and things were moving in, in the right direction on the music side in order to be able to make that choice confidently. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's amazing. And yes, yeah, speaking of Sean, so how did you, your current role, how did you guys come together? How did you guys meet? Do you remember the first time you met Sean? I, I do. Um, I, I got a call from another friend, uh, a guy named Dan Cancer, who was the musical director for Justin Bieber. He's a Canadian guy as well. Uh, Dan, I mean, Justin, of course, but Dan mm-hmm. is a Canadian guy as well. And we played in a lot of the same kind of small indie bands and stuff around Toronto, not at the same time, but kind of one after the other. So we kind of kept in touch loosely, but Sean's people had called him asking if he knew of any <clears throat> Toronto-based musicians who could play guitar and then you know, take on the role as musical director for the project. So he had recommended me. So he, he called me um, and that was sort of my first introduction to the project saying, hey, there's this guy named Sean Mendez. Sean only had Life of the Party out at the time. I think it was his first song that he had released. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I know that song. Cool. Mm-hmm. Like, and and the, the, the was at the time, it was the Much Music Video Awards coming up uh, in the two weeks and they want to do a full band performance. It'll be the first time he's performed with the band. We need to put a band together for this and let's see where it goes from there. Essentially. It was, it was, it was a very open-ended whether it would kind of carry on and continue into something um, with the band or not. So that was sort of my introduction to, uh, to the, uh, the Sean gig and it was amazing. And um, we met Sean a couple of days later at, at a rehearsal and then here we are. Yeah, that's amazing. And as a musical director, for example, and people are, if people are wondering, what the heck is that? What, what do you do? So kind of what is, I know your day-to-day is probably different, but what does kind of your role include? Yeah. So the role of musical director within the context of like a, you know, pop or rock band or something like that is, Mm -hmm. is different. It can be different for each project, but generally the easiest way to think of it is like, you're responsible for taking the studio versions of these songs getting them prepared with a band and being able to present them at a live show, that whole process. So there's a lot of different things that happen along the way. So it can be something like if at the beginning of a project, it could be, we need a musical director to help put a band together. We need them to help find players and audition them and get a group of people who will work and play well together for this one show or for a tour or for a festival, or maybe it's for a TV performance so that's sort of its first, you know, the first stage is potentially that. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, are we putting together a tour? So if it's a tour, then of course, that's like, a, that's a lot of songs to prepare. So you have to then take into consideration all of the artist's material, come up with a set list that you feel accurately represents where they're at in their career trajectory or album trajectory or create a set list that feels great for the fans who are going to be there. You know, all of this is of course done in conjunction with like, uh, depending on the project done in conjunction with the artist management, a creative director who might be involved production manager. When you're talking about large scale touring, there's a lot of people involved in, in these conversations. So it's to be able to kind of head up the music department of that, of the team, you know? So, yes. so it's to come up with a set list that feels great. Uh, transitions within songs, you know, within a set list so that you are kind of getting this experience from the show. It's not just going to be a song, clap, song, (laughs) clap, you know, like 
um, you want to have sort of a dynamic, exciting experience for an hour and a half mm -hmm. throughout a show. And then like the day to day of it is like rehearsing the band, making sure the artist is feeling really comfortable on stage mm -hmm. with the songs, the arrangements, the parts. Again, like taking in ideas from everybody who is like a stakeholder on the creative side and trying to include as much of that into music and the arrangements as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's to just sort of like produce the produce those songs for a live environment. So you're trying to take those songs from their studio version and punch them up uh, and and sort of present them and amplify them with as much extra excitement as you can. Because there's a lot of things you can do live that you can't necessarily do on a studio version of a song musically. Mm -hmm. um, you can get away with a lot more live. You can, yeah, you can have like a super extended intro or outro or, yes. you know, repeat a chorus at the end of a song two or three times and have the crowd sing it back and all that kind of stuff that you can't do on a radio version of a song or an album studio version of a song. So it's to be able to just maximize all the music and present it live and be sort of a point of contact for the team who can kind of handle questions related to the music, uh, questions related to, yeah, anything, mm -hmm. anything musical that comes up within the context of the live show. Wow. That sounds like a lot all in all in one role. And like, now, when, let's say you're planning like one show, what, like, how long does it take? Is it now second nature for you? Well, obviously with Sean that, you know, you guys have performed so many times, but like, what's the process of like, how long does it take to like, for example, let's just like one show, how long would it take? That's a great question. Yeah. I, I don't have a specific number on the, the yeah. number of days or hours it would take, but it, yeah. it is a very involved process. Yes. Um, I mean, it can be as simple as you want, but I think at the sort of level that the level of performances that I think need to be presented and as do the teams around us, you know, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a very involved process, you know, because mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure that you're presenting all these songs, not exactly just the, like a carbon copy of the studio version. I think there's something to be said about there being an exciting live version of a song that's a little bit different mm -hmm. than what you're used to hearing. And then there's so much that goes into the flow of a set list and transitions and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and there's just generally a lot of thought that goes into it. You're constantly sort of, I, I find myself at least constantly watching, you know, other shows and other concerts, YouTube videos, just to just to see what, uh, what other people are up to, how mm -hmm. other people sequence their set lists. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't, I couldn't give you an exact number, but it is yeah. definitely an involved process. And and part of it is as well as sort of like going back and forth with all the musicians in the band, making sure they're comfortable mm -hmm. with everything. You're also sort of as a musical director, um, you're a point of contact for the band. And then you're mm -hmm. a point of contact for management as well to kind of, you know, you're passing communication back and forth so that they just have to talk to one person. They don't have to call, you know, all mm -hmm. five band members or four, but what, however many band members might be in a band, you can kind of help facilitate the communication and logistics of those of those musicians, you know. Right. Yes. That seems like a very collaborative role. Like you're constantly working with a team. It's not just a one person. You're always, you know, working with the other team members. Um, I was hoping we could Absolutely. end the episode with a few rapid fire questions, if you're okay with that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. If your life was a TV show, what would kind of be your intro song? Or it could be like a little beat too, or like, yeah, anything. If my life was a, was a TV show intro song. Wow. Oh man. Maybe Bohemian Rhapsody. Good choice. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> only, <laughs> I know, only due to the fact that like every day is very different, you know, mm -hmm. and and that song in itself, you know, mm -hmm. to be a little musically nerdy about it, it has a ton of different sort of disconnected sounding sections yes. that somehow work together and kind of 
and it kind of create a, a, a lovely, you know, five minute, five minute song. So that, that feels like my life, you know, okay. got a lot yeah. of, there's lots of little sections and pieces. Lots um, of going on. Yes. Sort of, all, lots going on that sort of work together <laughs> um, that feel like life, you know? Yes. Good answer. Okay. Um, what is one thing that you love about your job? And then one thing that you find maybe more challenging? I love music <laughs> as simple <laughs> as that sounds. I love music. Um, so to be able to, to earn a living and kind of be able to just focus on it as my job is like, I, I find it completely surreal. You know, mm-hmm. um, I love the people that I work with and I also love the sort of the randomness of the, and the sort of um, the unpredictableness of, of it all, the unpredictability mm-hmm. of it all, which is, is exciting. Everything is, every day is completely different. You're constantly challenged with new things, you know, um, one thing I don't like about it is I got to say some of it is the unpredictability of it. As much as I right. love it, it can also be quite tricky to handle. Um, I've got a family and I've got children. Mm-hmm. Um, so that becomes, that's probably the trickiest part of it is handling mm-hmm. some of the sort of last minute travel that comes up or the very extended periods of time away from home. That becomes pretty tricky, but, uh, but also it, those are some of the perks as well. You know, that's it's, true with everything, with every, you know, with everything, there's, there's sort of a counterbalance to it all. Totally. Yeah. Um, so you've performed on a lot of concerts and shows, but what's like one of your favorite concerts that you've been at, but you weren't performing, but you were just like an audience member. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, what did I see recently? I'm trying to think of something. Well, not recently because none of us have seen a concert recently. (laughs) Um, I saw Radiohead in like, oh gosh, somewhere in the mid two thousands. That was Mm -hmm. amazing. I thought the Bruno Mars show was incredible. I have been um, to his, his concert as well. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. We saw the Moonshine and Jungle Tour, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, that was amazing. Um, what is your, what is your favorite travel spot? Oh, uh, Tokyo. Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. For Yes. Yeah. And what about like vacation spot or also Tokyo? Oh, vacation spot. Yeah. Well, great question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> vacation spot. I mean. Uh, my wife and I went on our honeymoon to Hawaii. So Kauai specifically in Hawaii was like, that's sort of a magical place for us. Yes. Love it. Um, What is one of your favorite songs that you've, you know, co-written, written? written? Oh um, yeah. Cool. I I co-wrote this song called always been you on Mm -hmm. Sean's last um, album that just came out wonder. Yeah. That experience was awesome and amazing. So that, that I'd have to say that. Amazing. Okay. Um, a few more questions. Who are the three most influential people in your life? Awesome. My, my wife, my kids, my parents. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yes. Great answer. Um, and yes. uh, lastly, if you could go back and give advice to Zubin back in college days, what would you tell him? I think I'd say, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think I'd probably tell him to just like have a little bit more faith in in the music side of things, you know, that mm-hmm. it will work out if, you know, there's when you're self-employed, especially when you're, I think, a, um, in the creative arts and, you know, um, a field like this, there's a lot of, you can kind of be plagued with a lot of self-doubt along the way, a lot of trepidation. Um, I came again from like a, a pretty traditional upbringing. Um, so to go into something like a career like this um, in itself came with the sort of like, well, this is, well, this isn't how we normally do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that my parents were incredibly supportive and I have always been and still are. 
it's not that it's more just sort of what you see around you you know what your friends end up doing and all mm -hmm. of that i didn't have a lot of friends who went into creative fields growing up so i think i would probably tell myself to to just push on forward and follow your gut follow your instinct with it that's great advice well thank you so much for this lovely conversation it was so great getting to know you better and hearing your story it's so fascinating to me always you know hearing what musicians do especially musical directors so cool i'm not in the industry so i don't know but it's always fun to learn more about it yeah absolutely well thank you so much for having me on it it was great chatting and that was Zubin. I'll leave all his links if you want to hear some of the songs that he's co-written. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.